so uh, I heard about a guy that, you know, he, he had a little problem and he'd been going to the doctor and his problem was he was afraid that there were monsters under his bed. For four years he went and sought counseling and it just wasn't working. He, he was more and more afraid. He couldn't sleep and he was just worried that there were these monsters under his bed. And finally he... Uh, he uh, he decided he was going to stop going to that doctor. And about two months later, the doctor ran into the guy out at the mall, and he was totally changed. The guy looked great. Where before, he had looked haggard and worn and, and just nervous all the time, and you could tell he hadn't slept. And so the guy, uh, he asked him, he said, well, what made the difference? And he said, well, I went to this new doctor, and I just went one time. And he said, well, what did he do? He said, well, it was real simple. You know, I was always worried about monsters being underneath my bed. He told me just cut the legs off my bed. You know, I don't know how that works. I think most people realize if you cut the legs off the bed, the monsters will just move to the closet. But anyway, it worked for him. That's kind of unbelievable story. And you know, we come to a story today, we call it the Christmas story, and it's kind of an unbelievable story as well. You know, there's a lot of things in this story that, that just seem unbelievable. Now, I'm not talking about the Santa Claus story, John. I'm talking about the story of the birth of Christ. And this is an important story because Christ is actually a gift of heaven. A gift from God Himself. A gift from above. And today we're going to begin a series. We're calling this the, the Gift of Christmas. And I got the idea for this series from our Christmas program that we're going to have on the 17th. Uh, Chris and all the choir have been working on this. Uh, Christmas presents. Unwrapping God's perfect gift. And so today we're going to, uh, we're going to think about uh, the gift of Christmas, and today's message is going to be titled Unwrapping Jesus. And so we're going to dig in and learn about who he really is over the course of the next few weeks, and we're going to learn about, you know, what he did and, and why he came. And so today we're going to ask the question, who is this baby Jesus we celebrate at Christmas? You know, is, is he real or is he just a myth? We're going to think about today, is, is he just a human or is he of divine origin? Is he divinity? We're going to think about the idea of uh, is, he, um, is he just another prophet, a, a preacher, a, a good teacher, or is he the son of God? And we're going to look at some of what the Bible has to say about that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 2 today. Of course, Luke is, uh, is one of those guys in the Bible. He's not an apostle, but he is a close companion of the apostle Paul. He traveled with Paul in many places that Paul went. He was an eyewitness to some of Paul's ministry, but he was not an eyewitness to Jesus. Uh, but he does tell us early in chapter 1 that he carefully investigated. 
and that he talked to those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus. We can uh, believe that he talked to many of the apostles, that he probably talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus himself, and he addresses his book to a man named Theophilus. Now, who is this Theophilus? Uh, he is, uh, the name means one who God loves. He calls him most excellent Theophilus, which probably means he's a Roman official or that he is a, a very wealthy Roman man, maybe even uh, Paul's patron who provided the money to publish what he had written so that he could get the word out about Jesus. Nonetheless, uh, Luke tells us that what I have written here, I have thoroughly investigated so that you can know the truth. Verse 4, he says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then we come to chapter 2. This is part of what we call the Christmas narratives. And listen to what Luke has to say about this baby Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and that everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now let's think through a little bit of what Luke is telling us. You know, as I said, this is part of the Christmas narratives. There are uh, very few of them, but they are found in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, Jesus, what I want you to think about first, was born around 4 B.C. Now, this may shock a lot of people to hear this. You know, we usually think, well, uh, our calendar is B.C., before Christ, and A.D., and many people think that means after death, which it does not, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And so Jesus was born in A.D. 1, right? That's probably not the case. Uh, it says... He was born when Quirinius was governor because that's when they went to the census. Quirinius served two terms as governor, and those two terms were 6 B.C. to 4 B.C. And then 10 years passed, and he served another term, and that was 6 A.D. to 9 A.D., and this census was taken during his first term. So if Quirinius was governor when Jesus was born, Jesus had to be born before 4 B.C. That's interesting. Acts chapter 5, verse 37 mentions a second census. That would have been during Quirinius' second term. Jesus could not have been born then. That would have been 6 A.D. or later. So Jesus had to be born before 4 B.C. Another 
piece of history that backs that up is the fact that Herod the Great was over Judea when Jesus was born. We remember the story of the wise men coming and, and Herod hearing that they had come to worship the Messiah who had been born. Well, Herod died in 4 B.C. By the 6th uh, century, there were people who didn't like the calendar system that the world had employed. This calendar system was put in place by one of the Roman emperors, Diocletian, all the way back in the first century. They really didn't have a good calendar system, so dates were pretty much dated like we read here in Luke. In the year Quirinius was governor, well, that was a two-year span. So they didn't hold on to dates the way we do today. But by the third century, when Diocletian was emperor of Rome, he came up with a dating system based on how the emperor's uh, terms lasted. And it was a system that lasted for a while. But by the sixth century, there was a Christian monk named Dionysus Exegus, and he didn't like having a dating system that was named after someone who persecuted Christians, and so he came up with a system that included B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which stands for Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. So when we say A.D., we're talking about in the year of our Lord. Latin, Anno Domini. And this system is what our system today is based on. It's undergone some revision. But his years were probably off a little bit. And so Jesus was probably born somewhere around 4 B.C., give or take a year or two. That's pretty much documented by most historians. It's not that we doubt the birth of Jesus. It's just the exact year of his birth is probably a little bit questioned. Next thing I want you to think about is Jesus fulfilled prophecy by being born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary had lived in Nazareth. This was a town in Galilee in the northern part of the Holy Land. But they had to travel down to Bethlehem some 60 miles or so to register for a census. That's because that was their town of origin, where their ancestors were from and probably where they were born. Uh, it was well established by the Jewish people that the Messiah would be born in this town in Bethlehem. You remember, I talked about the story of King Herod a while ago. If we go back to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, we learn that Magi from the east, this is the wise men, came. They were probably uh, wise men from Persia, probably advisors to the king. 
Now, let's think about the background of that for just a minute. Why, why would they be coming to worship this king? They had seen a star, and that was important. Often in that day was thought that a, a star might appear recognizing the birth of some great human being. These wise men from Persia, if you'll remember, the Jewish people were taken in exile back to Babylon, but people from Persia overthrew Babylon, and so there was probably some interaction between the holy men of, of, uh, of the Jewish people and these Persian leaders, and they talked about this Messiah that would one day be born. And these Persian wise men recognized, wow, that's the fulfillment of that great king that was going to come to the Jews. Let's go pay homage to him. And so they traveled far. Some say 600 miles. Persia was probably modern-day Iran. And they came to Jerusalem, and when they rode into town, it was probably no small entourage that they had it created a ruckus. And Herod got word. And they asked, where is your king that was born? Well, most of the people there didn't even, didn't even know he'd been born. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when they called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. This is a quote from Micah 5.2. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This, of course, is what we call a messianic prophecy. It pointed to the fact that when the Messiah did come, he would be born in Bethlehem. So Jesus fulfilled that in his being born there in Bethlehem. I also want you to think about Jesus was from the ancestral line of King David. That's another reason for Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem. Uh, Mary had to be from the line of David as Jesus' mother. Two genealogies are listed in the Bible of Jesus. A list of his ancestors. One is in Matthew chapter 1. One is in Luke chapter 3. Now, we don't know this for certain, but some scholars believe that the one in Matthew chapter 1 traces the line of Joseph. Now, Joseph was the legal father though he was not the natural father of Jesus. God was the father of Jesus. Mary was the mother of Jesus. But some believe that Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 3, lists the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Mary. In fact, as he begins to list that, just before he says, Jesus was the son of Joseph, so it was thought. Well, if it wasn't true, what good does it do to list Joseph's genealogy? So perhaps he listed Mary's genealogy. And there is some differences in the names 
in those two genealogies. Joseph was the legal father, making Jesus legal, but he was not his physical father. And that leads us to another thought. Was Jesus an illegitimate child? Jesus was not an illegitimate child. Verse 5 tells us that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but they had not been married yet. And certainly had not consummated the marriage. They were Jewish. In that day when you uh, decided to get married, you went through a betrothal. It's sort of akin to our engagement period. Usually lasted about a year for a Jewish couple. And during that time, the, uh, the groom would give gifts to the bride and gifts to the family of the bride. And they would spend a lot of time together. And it would be well known in the community that they were betrothed, that they were pledged to each other. It was almost like a contract or a a covenant to be married. In fact, it was so serious that if it was broken, the groom had to give a certificate of divorce, and he had to go to a priest to make this official to his bride. So this was serious business. In fact, when Joseph first found out that Mary was pregnant, he decided he was going to quietly divorce her, the text says. Then an angel came to him, explained the situation, and explained to him what had happened. Uh, Let's look back in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll see how this just came about. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this was uh, probably Mary's aunt or cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to the man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is telling Mary he's going to be that Messiah. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So, how's this going to happen? Well, Mary will uh, be given a child through the Holy Spirit by the power of God. So Mary will still be a virgin, but she will become pregnant. So Jesus will not be an illegitimate child, but he will be the Son of God. God was the progenitor, the father 
and Mary was still a virgin. I want you to think about this one last thing. Jesus was born in humble circumstances. Can you imagine for a minute what it must have been like to ride into Bethlehem? The census is going on, so there are probably a lot of people who have come back to their hometown to sign up and to find out, even though Mary's pregnant, nine months, ready to give birth, to find out there's no room at the local inn. Motel 6 has got a sign out front, full, no vacancy. Well, what are they to do? The text tells us that it came time for the baby to be born, and when it was born, they laid the baby in a manger. A manger is another word for a feed trough for animals, much like what we have right here, probably somewhat bigger. It never says that Jesus was born in a stable. But where else would you find a feed trough but in a stable? And probably the stable was more like a cutout in the rock, like a cave. Maybe had a wooden fence across the front that someone who had animals used to store their animals. There may have even been animals in there. But at least it was a place out of the weather, out of the cold, giving them a little privacy, a place to birth this child. And that they did. Imagine for just a minute what that must have been like. Mary, probably about 15 years old. Joseph, probably not much older. And here they birth this child, the Son of God. The Son of God came in this world to an ordinary family. A working class family. Joseph was a carpenter. His wife-to-be was just a young maid. Ordinary clothes were placed on him, not the robe and the blanket of royalty. He was laid in a not-so-ordinary crib humble beginnings. We've unwrapped a little bit about Jesus today. and As we go for the next several weeks, we'll unwrap a little bit more. But the connection I want to make today is I want you to see that God went to great extent to give a gift that shows the people of the world how much he loved them. Over the next few weeks, we're going to learn more about what Jesus brought for the people, the peace and the salvation that he brought. And that all comes with knowing this little baby Jesus. And this little baby, this little innocent baby Jesus, grew up to be the same man we see at Easter that was beaten half to death, marched through town as an example of what not to do in the Romans' eyes. And he was nailed to a cross, bloody, bruised. He hung there in the hot sun until he died. 
but all with the purpose to bring forgiveness for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, that we too might know eternal life. The Bible says that He is the way and the truth and the life. He's the only way to find God and that He wants to be your and my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Jesus. As we begin this Christmas season and we go through some of the stories that have been cherished down through the ages, the, the birth of Jesus, the various people that surrounded him. And we think about the, the uh, shepherds that were told by an angel about his birth and went to worship him. We think about those that later met him in the temple. And Lord, they, they saw the vision that you brought salvation that he would bring and we pray today Father that you would help us to see those things as well as we go through this Christmas season as we unwrap 